1: Elizabeth Holmes. The Theranos trial continues. Last week was an especially short week to what is already a very short schedule. The courthouse was closed due to a water main break or some issues with water in the building. There wasn't any. So is there any advantage to either side in having this trial take so long?
0: Interestingly, if it's going to benefit one side or the other, it probably has a benefit to the defense because the jurors get fatigued potentially. They could get confused over time, and that works to the defense's advantage because the burden of proof, again, is on the prosecutors. This is a criminal case. They have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt on every element of of the causes of action, the crimes that Elizabeth Holmes is being accused of. And so if it drags on for a really long time, it is possible, I don't think it's likely, but it's possible that the jurors just start losing track of some of the, or or it's not even losing track, it could be losing the effect of, you know, this guy from Pfizer said, no, we never gave her permission. This person from Shearing Plow, another drug manufacturer, said, yeah, we, com- we couldn't validate anything that they were saying, and yet they still used our logo in the report. Those could benefit the defense if this just continues to drag on.
1: Last week, when Lisa Peterson, who was the family investor or or an advisor for the DeVos family who invested in Theranos, Lance Wade, Elizabeth Holmes' attorney, questioned Ms. Peterson as to how well she really checked out Theranos before making the decision or helping the family make the decision to invest. He continued with this line of questioning And Judge Davila then said that lack of due diligence could not be used as a defense in this case. So why would the defense even be going in this direction in the first place? It sounds like they're suggesting that it's her fault for not checking Theranos out and and being more thorough, when if Theranos has nothing to hide, then what's the problem? But also... Why would the prosecution not be the ones to object? Why would the judge assert himself here?
0: Well, I think there are a couple of avenues. First off, I don't believe that they're arguing. Weirdly, I don't believe that they're arguing that there's a lack of due diligence. I think what they're trying to show actually is these are professional investors who typically do do full due diligence. And if there's less due diligence done in this circumstance, It's because there was some kind of level of trust or inherent acknowledgement of what Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes was telling them. And I think that could be potentially important to show, look, um, how could I defraud them if they're just following along with this Forbes article? And that's what uh, Ms. Peterson is quoting in her report to the higher ups at the DeVos family office where they do their investments. So if she's just quoting a Forbes article, you know, look, these are professional investors. That's their job to dig into this. These aren't casual investors. So maybe she didn't commit any fraud because they never looked in deep enough for Elizabeth Holmes to have lied to them, to intentionally misled them about the company. Secondly, on the point of Judge Davila pointing out that lack of due diligence is not a defense Judges have tremendous leeway in their own courtroom to, and and most importantly, they're responsible for the law. So if the judge, Judge Davila, believed that the defense was trying to make a legal argument that a defense is lack of due diligence, it actually is his responsibility to point out that the law, he rules on the law, the trier of fact the jury determines whether or not the facts align with the law and then come to their conclusion. So that would absolutely be within the judge's rights and responsibilities to point out that lack of due diligence isn't there. Now, lastly, to the question of the prosecution not objecting. Yeah, you know, I would think that the prosecution would object, but that's not necessarily the case especially if they saw that the judge was going there. Furthermore, there have been a lot of behind the scenes and behind closed door meetings uh, with uh, the judge. And so it's possible that there were conversations about this that we didn't hear in open court. And therefore the judge spoke about it in open court without us knowing all of the other information that was going on.
1: Last week, the jury also saw clips of Elizabeth Holmes speaking, doing media rounds. In one particular clip with Maria Shriver, she said, quote, I'm the founder and CEO of this company. Anything that happens in this company is my responsibility at the end of the day. She later would repeat that in a deposition with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission saying, I mean, i I'm the CEO. I'm the ultimate decision maker for the company. So if you are the defense here, and you are possibly or likely going with the defense that Elizabeth Holmes was not the one calling the shots, that she was not in control, but Sonny Balwani was, then how are you going to explain these statements?
0: Well, the buck stops here is a bold statement on the part of Elizabeth Holmes that is very damaging for the defense in this case. And the fact that that is under oath in the sec case as well, then this is a difficult position. And as I've said from the beginning of our coverage of this trial, I don't believe the blame sunny Balwani defense that he had control over her is a good one for this defense team. I just don't see how it's going to play out. And to your point in light of comments like these, I'm responsible. Anything that happens in this company comes back to me. It's on me. The buck stops here. Wow. If I'm the prosecution, I play that over and over and over again. If the defense begins to assert that Sonny Balwani was the one controlling Elizabeth Holmes and that she really wasn't the one who was running the company and it was Sonny Balwani. Yeah, that that's going to be really difficult for the defense to overcome. And I don't know how they spin their way out of that one other than I don't think that's their defense. And I just, I think that that's the wrong approach, but I'm not on the defense team.
1: In episode 15 of Law Junkie Show, you explained counts and how that works in court and being charged. Just to clarify, a count is not necessarily equal to a transaction. So for example, it was said last week that one witness, Alan Eisenman, whose investment of just short of $100,000 is part of a wire fraud count. So that means what exactly?
0: Yeah. So the, the count, the charge against Elizabeth Holmes is wire fraud against investors, wire fraud against patients, wire fraud against doctors. So the investors are one class of people who were allegedly defrauded in this circumstance. Again, I want to review, because I think it's very important that when we're talking about what's happening here and why I emphasize beyond a reasonable doubt on each element of of the charge. I'm gonna read again from the Ninth Circuit, the model jury instructions for a count of wire fraud. First, the defendant knowingly, and there are some words here potentially, participated in, devised, intended to devise, a scheme or plan to defraud, or a scheme or plan for obtaining money or property by means of false or fraudulent pretenses, representations or promises. And then the second element, the statements made or facts omitted as part of the scheme were material. That is, they had a natural tendency to influence or were capable of influencing a person apart with money or property. That is where like the Pfizer logo will apply is that second element that's material. They're demonstrating that, hey, Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos was saying that Pfizer signed off on this report. Well, they didn't. And there's uh, that we know so far. It is possible the defense will show somebody did sign off on that. But this third element is the one that I believe that this whole case centers on. And this is for each individual count. You have to prove each of these elements. Third element on a wire fraud charge. The defendant acted with the intent to defraud. That is the intent to, to deceive and cheat. And cheat. So this means that they... Didn't believe their product was going to work. That means they knew their product wouldn't work. That means they knew they were lying to to the alleged victim in this case. And then the fourth element is the defendant used or caused to be used in interstate wire communication to carry out or attempt to carry out an essential part of the scheme. That just means like email, basically. So on each of the wire fraud counts and conspiracy to commit wire fraud, each have to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt to the jury so this is a high standard and there's a reason why I keep repeating that because they have to do it on everyone on every count or she can't be found guilty on that count and so this is what the prosecution is facing
1: Elizabeth Holmes said things like quote Several years ago, we realized that we had created an infrastructure that could, in fact, make it possible to get rid of phlebotomy or the big tubes of blood that are drawn from the arm in its entirety. She said, quote, "'We don't suffer the rates of decay of key analytes that happen when you ship samples off to a central lab.'" You mentioned in episode 17 of Law Junkie Show that it's not illegal to say things that are subjective like, you know, world's best coffee or original famous pizza. But what about these statements? Is this lying or subjective? And how will the jury know the difference?
0: Well, that sounds like a sales pitch, that this was their vision. This is what they intended to create with the Edison, a portable unit that would go into facilities that allows for at the location testing of blood. So sales pitches and visionary statements are not fraud. They're fraud if you never intended to make it happen. They're fraud if you never had the capability and you knew you never had the capability to make it happen. It's not fraud when this is what I'm building my business on and this is what Silicon Valley does all the time. I have grand ideas, grand schemes, grand plans. I get the money. I think I can build it. We think we can. We think we can. It's Thomas the Tank Engine. And often they fail, and it's not fraud. Here, you're dealing with billions of dollars, potentially, because the valuation, I believe, peaked out at $9 billion. You had lots of sophisticated investors that were engaged. So this had the attention of law enforcement, especially after the SEC settlement, you have everybody from Rupert Murdoch to Tim Draper to Betsy DeVos's family to George Schultz and his family i mean very famous wealthy people were you know essentially swindled by elizabeth holmes so when you get the rich and powerful getting ripped off as opposed to the unnamed and less fortunate they get the attention of law enforcement resources more often than not And so here we are, Um, but they have to prove beyond way beyond just that. Hey, she had grand visions and promises that she knowingly lied. Again, it goes back to that third element is so critical here. The defendant acted with the intent to defraud. That is the intent to deceive and cheat. So it's not that it was accidental. Hey, You know, we just weren't able to make it. Well, you deceived me because you said you could make it. Well, I believed I could and we were really trying and we just failed at the effort is not deceit. Using a Pfizer logo, using a Shearing Plow logo, that might qualify as deceiving and cheating.
1: Thanks for listening to Law Junkies Show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and on YouTube. Follow us on social media on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or Meta. And visit us at LawJunkieShow.com. You can send us a message there on the contact form or at info at LawJunkieShow.com.
0: Disclaimer, Law Junkie Show, including its guests and hosts are not giving out legal advice, but discussing general legal issues. Law Junkie Show does not guarantee that the legal issues discussed are fully accurate, and it's not specific to whatever legal issues you may be experiencing. None of this advice is to be acted upon in your situation. Please seek legal advice from a licensed attorney in your jurisdiction for your individual legal matter.